This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This program is sponsored by New Zealand Bridge, sponsors of Grassroots Bridge across the nation. Welcome to the Bridge Zone. You're at the table with Barry and Mariana. We have first-hand results coming in from Tauranga, Cambridge, New Plymouth and Invercargill. Barry's got the goss on that. And we also have Judge Julie. And I thought you were terrible. Paul Bailiff. My goodness. For goodness sake, it's only Patrick Carter. He's going to worry about him. Yeah, I'd like to know every time he gets a bit grumpy with you. <laughs> then I'll be able to keep a tally. Uh, what else have we got? I don't know. Having results is pretty good. We haven't had any of those for a while. Oh, no. How'd you go? We were okay. Well, that's a uh, year average. <laughs> well, we were over 50 in the pairs. Okay. That got us 12th. <laughs> I'm not oh going to go down to 12th when I read the results out, so there you go. <laughs> and how'd you go at Cambridge? Well, we were second there. So oh, nice. Our discussion today is going to be on balancing. And we have another segment from Andrew Robson. What about that little trip that he had? more than a little cliff. And more than a little trip. Here's Barry with some results. Let's start with Invercargill first. First were Moss Wiley and Kevin Scoropata. Second were Anne Somerville and Kay Shand. Third were Arlene Schwartz and Marat Gink. All regular place getters. The with Bradley playing? Bradley came fourth. Right, let's hit the road. We'll move to New Plymouth. And they had a 5A tournament on Saturday, won by Russell Wilson, whose K's to A's ratio must have been pretty good on Saturday. <laughs> Sky high. Good work, Russell. He was playing with Wayne Beasley. Well done to them. Second from Auckland, Pia Bark and Setsuku Lichnika. And third were David and Lynette O'Shaughnessy, another couple of locals. On the Sunday, they had a 5A Swiss pairs, won by Kate Davies and John Patterson from Wellington. See, I told you the further you travel, the better your chances. Mm. Second were Johnny Davidson and Pam Livingston. Third were Jack James and Wayne Burrows. Yay, is that go a, then. Is that a new partnership coming up? Okay, off to Tauranga. Have you got some intermediate results for us there, have you? Or you're looking them up. While you're doing that, we'll talk about Saturday. Talk about coming from a long way. The winners were from Wellington, Peter Benham and Anne-Marie Russell. Anne-Marie went via Pahia Tour. I don't know how long it took her to get there, but apparently she dropped her son off and he left his keys in her car and she had to stop somewhere and courier them back. Is she from Wellington? Yes. Oh, they just would have gone over the Rimutakas. She shouldn't come up that way via Marston. Will that get you to pay here to her? Yep. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. And Is then she... they would have shot through fielding. Well, and... at least she didn't have to go back with the keys. Well done, <laughs> Anne-Marie. Okay, the winners of... Hang on a minute. Second were Blair and Liz Fisher. Oh, my goodness. Third were Joe and Sam Simpson. <laughs> you finished? Not quite, but we move on to the okay. Tauranga Intermediate. So, <laughs> I finally get to have my say. So, at the Tauranga Intermediate Peers, congratulations to Eric Burney and Janice Simpson, Stacey Hilton and Jan Gange came second, and June and Peter Hagen third. Very they got good. a big round of applause. Did they? Everyone was really pleased that June came third. <laughs> Poor Peter. <laughs> and let's move on to Cambridge, Barry. And the people that travelled the furthest, for sure, were the winners at Cambridge, Bruce Batchelor and Greg Buzzard from Invercargill, would you believe? Goodness. So people moving all around the country just to get some face-to-face bridge. Was that part of the Congress that's already booked, so they might as well just come on up? I don't know about that. It seems likely, doesn't it? Yeah. 
particularly when you've got an Invercargill tournament heading <laughs> on that weekend. It's <laughs> like, oh, damn it. I'm just going to pop up the road. Pop up the road to Cambridge. I think they played at Tauron on Saturday as well. So, oh, so they got two for the price of one. So Jenny Millington and I were second. And third were the two Bevs, Henton and Guildford from Auckland. Well, that's good. What tournaments have we got this weekend? I think we've got Matamata 3A. Yep. And a Tiaroha 8B in the Waikato. I haven't actually got in front of me. There are a few others on, I'm sure. Auckland, we're going to have a couple, but not been able to run them because of COVID. COVID. It's still a bit scary, isn't wanna it? Want to talk about COVID? Yeah. Should we do that now? Okay, what do you want to know? <laughs> I'm just an encyclopedia on COVID. Well, it all got a little bit messy on the weekend with a few Aucklanders travelling to New Plymouth and Tauranga and Cambridge. So I had a bit of a word with Alan Morris and said, what's the story here? What's the mess? Well... Aucklanders under level two, as I understand the government advice, is should not go to gatherings of more than 100 people. We were right on the line there. Tauranga had a few more than 100 people. Cambridge had a few less. So I spoke to Alan Morris and he suggested that they should stick with those. So Aucklanders should take their COVID level two with them when they travel. Right. And that means if there's more than 100 people, they probably shouldn't play and that clubs would be within their rights to maybe not accept their entry but all a bit messy something we've never struck before and yeah. i guess you know maybe some people didn't feel too good about the whole thing the restrictions or the important messages definitely say consider avoiding gathering of more than 100 people like i mean imagine cambridge had about 90 something yep all up by the time they had their directors and scorers and and their helpers uh, there were 84 players i think so it would have been certainly over 90, but it was probably under 100. Right. And how many at Tauranga? Well, Tauranga would have been well over 100, I think, really. Okay. Um, but anyway, very messy and, you know, some people maybe getting a little upset over things. Not a lot of fun if you're running a tournament. The last thing you need to worry about. Mm. So do you think it got a bit heated? I think it might have done. Well, there's a difference of opinion. I, I guess you can take into the words consider... And if you're fit and healthy and you can do your due diligence on your own health and convince the organisers that you are fine, they can consider that. And whether they accept that, then it's up to them, isn't it? I I, I don't know. I mean, here we are getting people that have been tested twice and then they were positive anyway. How could you possibly know whether you you were safe or not? And there were people there that were, you know, had compromised health conditions that were concerned. Right. So, ugly. Yes, I'm sure it'll all come out in the wash. And has there been much social media activity on this issue? I saw a little bit. Not, not okay, a lot. Well, go on. What's the goss? I, look, there was somebody in there saying that they thought that people are a, a bit paranoid about the whole thing. Yep. And some people have that attitude. Other yep. people think we're not careful enough. Mm. Okay. Who's right and who's wrong? Oh, I well, I guess when you're operating within the different levels and you're from a section that is not like us at level one and has been for quite some time, you do get a bit spooked, wouldn't you? Quite some time. We've only been at level one for a week. Well, you know, we're level <laughs> two and... Sorry, I'll rephrase that then. Being at a different level to others, i.e. Auckland. Yeah. It is only Auckland that's got a bit of an issue. Yeah, yeah. But next week they might even be down then. They may well be. 
Yeah. And hopefully that will resolve all of us. <laughs> Too late. It's already done. Director, please. How can I help? Judge Julie presiding. Question one. Tournament entries, Julie. So when you're a director and you're running a tournament, how do you set the conditions of tournament and conditions of play and times and all the rest of it? And when can you change that once you've sent all the conditions out? It's actually a really interesting question. There's a, a few bugbears around this. One is we send out notices and that gives some of the conditions of entry, like start time, and normally a proposed finish time because people travel and they want to know. Often we will get, whether it's two sessions or three sessions, and the difference between two and three is not substantial. So we need the start time and the proposed finish time within a reasonable range to be given out, and particularly when we're running major events so people can book airfares and do other things. So we allow a certain time. And then really it's by the number of boards we are allowed to play, so the number of boards that we are going to play, which is actually dictated by the number of people we get. We can't say we're going to play 24 boards and we're going to do da-da-da-da-da without running into problems when the entries don't fit. We sort of try and put round pegs into square holes. So that's quite straightforward. New Zealand Bridge sets conditions. They set the number of boards that we have to pay to qualify for the master points that are going to be given out. And then we have what our local people want, what they expect, and what the club is going to do. Now, a lot of places this is done by the match committee, and the match committee the director is part of, but also there are the other people involved at the club level, the club manager or club captain, the tournament person, those sorts of things that set what we are going to do. At the moment, at current times, we don't really have any entry restrictions. I do know when I started playing tournaments that you could be balloted out. It all just sounds so simple. It sounds like any idiot could run a tournament, you know. You just put out the things and people <laughs> oh enter God, and you Barry, play. Barry, you're going to get us into trouble. <laughs> but from what no, you're saying, it's not, right. that it's not that simple, is it? We have a match committee, and committees bring together people that have different points of view and want different things. And any group of bridge players will have different criteria. And even things like when we do teams and we do carryover, the maths and all the, you know, the probabilities and why we do it this way rather than that way. For example, I mean, Patrick's great at sorting out those sorts of things. And there are some players that are very, very good to seek advice from about what we will do in those sorts of situations. Formats about whether we want to have round robins or whether we want to have semi-finals, finals, invariably bring up issues and questions and other sorts. And also what else the tournament's being used for. We found that a lot of our top tournaments, the 15As, the 10As, were being used by people for trialling. They had to pay it and there was some stuff around that that the International Committee wanted them to be able to do that impacted on what formats might be used. So it might sound simple, but it just isn't. Yeah, I've rung Patrick and Julie on numerous occasions, after, and even though we all know Patrick's a grumpy old bugger, but he was quite helpful, really. Yeah, he is, if you, if you twist his arm. No, he's more than happy to help. And I don't find him grumpy. But there you go. Uh, you so, must irritate him then. So, so I guess by, you, you know, by comparison, a, an average club night is just a walk in the park, but you've still got a lot of issues with numbers and movements and stuff, I guess, to work out. Oh, it's all on the spot, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as an example, I know there are some places where you spend a lot of time investing energy and learning about why you do things, what you should do, how you do them, and you go along to a club and the club committee has decided that they will pay 24 points irrespective of the numbers, which is impossible, and they will dictate that these things must happen and without regard to what is actually required to keep people happy and moving. So, And the same with tournaments. The clubs put out the tournament notice and you find that you're now trying to work within a time frame that doesn't work for the numbers you've got. So one of the issues I have as a director is having spent a long time directing and learning is that my opinion is just not worth anything in some situations. So it gets frustrating. Oh, jeez. Can you feel the pain, Mariana? My heart. I'm about to get weepy. I'm not saying that directors should dictate what happens either. I think that it is a decision that has got a lot of stuff around it. Like when I managed the Auckland Bridge Club, it was about the catering and and all those other things and cleaning and what the room use. Quite a lot of things that happens in the background that people don't really think about. But it does require that we try and use everyone's expertise. She might not be saying that directors should be in charge, but what she's saying is the world would be a better place if they were. No, I was manager of the Auckland Bridge Club. Seriously, I dealt with some directors not too far away from me where we had a conflict about what we might like. <laughs> but, I mean, you Leave see- him alone. Why is everyone picking on Bailiff today? <laughs> okay. Thank you, Julie. Love you. Thank okay. you. See you. Bye. Okay, balancing. Want to talk about balancing? Yep. Yeah, okay. We've talked about this quite a long time ago, so when you're in that balancing seat, particularly when the opponents have agreed a seat... If it goes one spade, pass, two spades, pass, pass to you. I'd put it that passing there is just bad bridge. When was the last time you got a good result from defending two spades there? It's almost never going to happen. The opponent's exactly where they want to be. They're probably not going to have much trouble making it. You might as well put your... No, I'm not going to say so that. That's, <laughs> so that's the only <laughs> time that you would tolerate a double that may not be a perfect double absolutely well I, I might tolerate a double in other situations but yeah so there's there's three things you can do you can double and double's the most flexible action but you do have to be able to stand whatever partner can bid yep two no trumps which can't be natural now I think it should say look I've got two suits usually the two lowest unbid suits yep. or you can bid a suit with all of these actions you need an understanding partner All my partners do, of course. Well, understand you. (laughs) I think your nose is growing, Pinocchio. I was going to say they all have an understanding partner. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, maybe not. You need an understanding partner that is not going to hang you for balancing. So Mm. you might do it with a bit less or a few less points than you normally would. You don't want them to get too excited and think, well, partner's got an opening hand and support for the other reason. Oh, we're a bit game. We don't want them doing that. All we're really trying to do is to push the opponents up a level. Or maybe we can make something. Or maybe we can push them up a level where maybe we can beat them. So once partner's balanced and they've bid, our job is done. We've forced them up a level. We usually don't go bidding on unless we've got something Quite spectacular, spectacular, which yep. is not likely in view of the fact that we already passed previously. <laughs> so usually once you've balanced and they've been pushed on a level, you should stop and hope that you can beat this thing. So 
there you are, that's basically it. There's other situations too where it goes a no trump, pass, and then maybe a transfer, two hearts, pass, two spades, pass, pass to you. It's another situation where, I mean, they haven't guaranteed a fit, but it does look right to balance. They've got some sort of a fit. They haven't got all that much. The points are roughly evenly divided by the sound of it. I mean, I guess they could have more than their share, but on the other hand, they might have less. <laughs> well, the, the person who's transferred might have a two count. Who knows? Yeah, well, all right. So you need to do it more. It comes up at every club, every night of the week, balancing. And is this only in the fourth seat? Well, interesting that you should say that. I know we've talked about balancing, and there's always something else. Have you ever heard of pre-balancing? Oh, my God. Now you're getting difficult. <laughs> it's another term called pre-balancing, whereas if it goes, one no trump on your right, pass, two hearts on your left, pass, two spades, so they've accepted the transfer to two spades, and you're sitting there with like an eight or nine count with a singleton spade and four hearts and four diamonds and four clubs. It's a little dangerous because the hand on your left has not limited their hand yet, but you are the one with a shortage in spades. You sort of know it's going to be hard for partner to balance when it goes around to them. Perhaps you could double here. I mean, you'd already passed one no trump. How much can partner be expecting? So now you've made a takeout double. That's what's known as pre-balancing. The great thing about pre-balancing is this, Mariana, is next time you do something and it works out really, really badly, you can just say, ah, partner, I was (laughs) pre-balancing. It's just such a great excuse. (laughs) Never heard of it, and I'll probably never use it. Going, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. He brought up, what was that rubbish he was talking about? (laughs) Pre-balancing. Pre-balancing. So balancing and pre-balancing. Just a couple of more pieces of joy that you can enjoy at the bridge table next Mm. time you go along to the club. Okay, well, I've got a question. I want to talk about reversing in a certain situation. Let's say that I open up one diamond, the opponents go one spade, and my partner doubles. And I then bid two hearts. Now, the question was from the opposition, is that a reverse? My partner said, no, that's not a reverse. So you're sure that's not a reverse? And he said... Well, I've doubled. She's saying, show my other suit. And then we got all into this conversation about reversing. And I tend to agree. I mean, if I had a strong hand, I could bid three hearts, couldn't I? Saying that it's, I've got a strong hand. And would that not say I am reversing rather than just bidding two hearts? The rules all change there when partner doubles. Because when it's gone one diamond and they've overcalled one spade, double from partner is virtually universally just says I've got four plus hearts and six plus points so when you're bidding two hearts all you're really doing is raising your partner's one heart bid right which he hasn't quite made but that's what he's insinuated by doubling is that he would have bid one heart if he could have so by you bidding two hearts there you just you're just raising you're showing a minimum hand and support for his four hearts if you had a good hand yes you'd have bid three hearts or maybe even four hearts okay or you might have splintered if that's what you do but anyway, so two hearts is not a reverse, and neither is two diamonds. I mean, what's partner to do if they have four clubs and four diamonds and they don't have a spade stopper? They're going to bid their other suit. That's not a reverse either. So one club, one spade, double, two diamonds, still not a reverse in my book. And let's pop off and hear a little bit more from Andrew Robson. Can I ask you about your bridge partners and your personal bridge highlights? At the moment, your bridge partner, when you're playing competition or your favourite bridge partner in the past? 
I always love playing with Zia. I mean, I haven't played with him so much recently, but I always love playing with Zia. He's a hugely supportive partner. He's a wonderful partner. You can make a howler of a mistake and he'll just sort of dismiss it. Uh, he, you know, he'll say, oh, you farted or something. That means solo <laughs> error, not worthy of any further discussion. <laughs> but if you've had an interesting partnership misunderstanding, then he'll, he'll thrash it out for a long time after the game. But he absolutely loves his bridge and his enthusiasm is amazing. So I have played with him quite a bit over the years, although not so much recently. I've been also playing with a very nice chap called Alexander Orfrey, who's a, who's a great mate of mine, although he's not probably absolutely top, top level. He's middle of the top level and we've done very well together. But I suppose my main partner over, well, back since 1990 is Tony Forrester. Tony and I have had our ups and downs, but we we certainly, I think we would both regard each other as our number one partner. I mean, we've had some amazing, amazing successes together. And uh, I like Tony very much, uh, even though some people perhaps would say certain things about the way he has been at the table. He can be a bit brutal. I like him very much and uh, count him as a friend. He's godfather to one of my daughters. And oh, so nice. he, I, you know, we've been this spearheaded the England team for, for 30 years. We, we, we've had periods of not playing together, quite long periods, but we burst onto the scene in very late 80s and then we won a couple of really big tournaments in, the, in 1990, the Cap Gemini and the Sunday Times. I would say that probably my best ever win was in the European Championships in 1991. And there wasn't any cross-imping back then, so nobody really knew how Tony and I individually were doing, but we were absolutely on fire we weren't actually getting on that well as people i hardly spoke a word to him for two weeks but we were playing behind screens i hardly saw him <laughs> but our bridge was lights out it really was amazing oh, it cool. was amazing yeah, so well, i would say that that was probably best ever win i read that you when you first started playing i think it, your initial partnership lasted maybe seven or eight years before you had a, a bit of a break and that, that was With quite Tony, a well, yeah. yeah that was quite a long break wasn't it and then it was a long yeah, break and you it, are right what was it about 2010 or something was it well we had a yeah. i had a nasty fall in the mountains and i was out of action for a while and i wanted to play a bit of bridge while i was sort of unable to do lots of other physical things that i was doing and so tony and i had another outing in i think it was Montreal in 2002 but we got to the World Pairs final and I remember that was one day where all the decisions fell to me and I did get some of them wrong and wasn't absolutely mad about the chemistry and the partnership uh, that day and so we stopped playing again for another as you say probably about nine or ten years maybe and then essentially the selectors said come on you've been England's numbers one and two for so many years and you often play on the same team at different tables why can't we just put you together and you know I mean Tony and I always like playing on the same team because we love talking about the boards afterwards <laughs> and we think we think very similarly about the game and we always have so it does make sense for us to be partners even though chemistry hasn't always been absolutely perfect so then we've been playing I mean, not every week or every month. We don't play in small events, but we play in the very big tournaments when we're representing our country. And we've done that now for, yeah, six oh, okay. or seven years. Yep. You didn't say too much about it, but you did touch on that accident you had, Andrews, if you don't mind talking about it. From what I understand, yeah, it, was, it, was a pretty, all, no. it was a pretty major accident, and your recovery was pretty remarkable, much quicker than expected. Well, thanks. I fell a long way down a mountain in the Lake District. I shouldn't have been where I was and fell onto some icy rock and I, 
I saw a picture of it, how far I'd fallen. It was a frighteningly long way. I mean, uh, well over 100 foot, I would say. Wow. And um, I couldn't move and I sh- shouted for help. And eventually uh, someone said, OK, where are you? And I said, I'm here, which wasn't very helpful. And they didn't know which side of the mountain are you, they said. So anyway, eventually they came to a very nice couple. And luckily, one of them had mobile phone reception. One of them stayed with me and the other one rang for the mountain rescue service they uh, came about three hours later wasn't in a good way three hours later at all still conscious they injected me 25 milligrams of diamorphine which is strongest painkiller known to humanity and they had to airlift me into a helicopter took me to the hospital where i was for probably a couple of months Goodness and me. um i did break quite most bones in my body and i was unbelievably lucky not to hurt my head or my spine it wouldn't be possible to make a full recovery because i've got my two feet are too badly damaged but i've got a now fused right ankle so i can't really run very much really unbelievably lucky to be back gosh uh, sounds like you're a living a re- right. pretty normal life i believe you were back playing bridge was it was it something like five months later? Was it as quick as that? or About five, yeah. yeah, five or six months later, yeah. yeah, so, uh, yeah. And, and that was to the, to the amazement of everyone. Yeah, but I remember going to the nationals, in uh, the American nationals in Toronto. I was still on crutches, and I remember going with a friend to the Niagara Falls. I remember it was rather slippery, and I thought, this is absolute madness on crutches <laughs> to be doing this. And, but that's how you rolled uh, by the great. sound of it. It was pretty amazing, but I had to keep my feet feet up at an adjacent, on an adjacent chair. And I remember one Canadian player said, you shouldn't be playing if you have to have your foot up like that. And I remember thinking, that is such a weird thing to say. <laughs> why, why would you say that? <laughs> anyway, so it was great to be playing. I think they very kindly gave me a sportsmanship award, uh, the IBPA, International yep. Bridge Press Association. Yes, so I did, lovely. Re- did read about very that. very nice. Amazing story, wasn't it, about him surviving this fall of 100 metres well that's just about all we have for this week things are almost getting back to normal with tournaments fronting up left right and centre are you playing this weekend Barry? Maybe not this weekend I'll be doing something else. Oh you had enough already couldn't wait last week (laughs) There's some cows waiting for me. Oh that's right that need your attention well we will have some more tournament results and also our boss chairman of New Zealand Bridge is coming on next week well he said he might I'm hoping we can talk him into it so Mariana is that a big pile of emails you've got printed on your desk over there that we've received <laughs> it sure is watch how you don't trip over it how many are there again one zero zero without the one. Oh, okay yeah. Let's call it three zero. Not a single email into <laughs> bridgezone show at gmail.com. Still waiting, folks. And if you're interested in joining the Bridge Zone team, please let us know. We are desperate to find someone to take over something. This it is our Facebook be... page when she says something, folks. Yeah. We haven't got a Facebook page. We need somebody. You can still text us as well. Still waiting for our inaugural text. On the Bridge Zone hotline. What's that number? 027-447-127. Yep. And guess what? I'll buy someone a glass of medicine if they use that Bridge Zone hotline at around about 3.30 a.m. in the morning. That would be awesome. <laughs> She's a stirrer <laughs> of the first order. Okay, take care, people. See you later. Bye for now. New Zealand Bridge, sponsoring Bridge from beginner to international, nationwide. For more.
episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.